This morning, as I said, we are remembering the incredible events that took place almost 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead. And in a little bit, Pastor Rob's going to be preaching from 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to read those verses now. 1 Corinthians 15, the first 11 verses. And this is Paul's letter. Paul was an apostle, and he was writing to the church in first century Corinth, a city in now, that is now in Greece. And he gives them these words. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Well, welcome this Easter Sunday, and you may not know this, but today is also April 1st, so it's known as April Fool's Day, and I'm not going to call anyone a fool from this pulpit today, but I have entitled my message, No Fool to Believe, because it is not foolish to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, it is the wisest thing you could ever do. The resurrection changed history. It is the event of history. Now, some of you may know this, but brilliant atheist, theoretical physicist, and Cambridge professor Stephen Hawking just recently died on March 14th. And he wrote a book, and it's entitled The Theory of Everything. And this is a question he said. He said, it would be wonderful if somebody would explain one simple way to make sense out of everything. And when Hawking was alive, he, he used to receive a lot of mail, a lot of emails, and there was one question asked more than any other question. This is the question, can you prove that God does not exist? Brilliant physicist Stephen Hawking, can you prove that God does not exist? I want to share with you what he said from his book. He said, we are such insignificant creatures on a minor planet, on an average star in the outer suburbs of one of a hundred million galaxies. So it is difficult for me to believe in a God who would care about or even notice our existence. Stephen Hawking basically said, it's beyond me. I can't believe that there would be a God that would even care about us. Now, there was another brilliant man centuries before Stephen Hawking, and his name is David. And David wrote this in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. 
David said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. And even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. And such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Unlike Hawking, David would say that every person is significant to God. And God knows every person intimately. But both Stephen Hawking and David would say, it's beyond me. Stephen Hawking would say, it's beyond me. I do not believe. David would say, it's beyond me. I do believe. And that is the question that I want to pose to you this morning. Do you believe in God? I want to take it a step further. Do you believe in Jesus Christ who lived, died, was buried, and rose again? Because trust and faith in Christ is the difference. It makes the difference between life and death. And David, in the section of Scripture that we're in today in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing 1 Corinthians 15. I think I said David. Sorry about that. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15 because there was an issue in the church. Members of the church, they believed that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, there were so many witnesses to that fact. But they had a hard time believing that they themselves could also rise. Now, Paul is very clear. If Jesus rose from the dead, then all believers who trust in Him will rise also. And so Paul, to, to help those in his church understand that they too would rise, he first has to help them understand that Jesus really did rise. And so what Paul's going to do in this section, he's going to point to four witnesses that give evidence to the resurrection of Christ. Today we'll see four reasons, these, these four witnesses that show that Christ really did rise, come out of the grave. So what are the witnesses that prove that Jesus rose from the grave? Well, the first one is, the first witness is the living church. First witness of the resurrection is the living church. If you know Jesus Christ, it's you and me. Those that know Christ have been changed, transformed, and your changed life is a testimony of the work of God. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, and by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he begins here, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you. He's speaking to brethren, believers in Christ, and he begins with the gospel that I've preached to you. Paul is going to say that there's evidence He's like a good lawyer. And with any good case, you always need to find the evidence. And the best evidence that a lawyer looks for is the testimony of witnesses. And his first witness is the church. It's the living church. Those that are born again, transformed, new creation. You're different. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And the Holy Spirit lives in you and, and you're alive. And that difference impacts those around you, and it impacts the world. And Paul begins his argument right here with the gospel message that saves. 
And the evidence of the resurrection are those who've received that gospel message and been changed. So, so what is that gospel message that Paul preached? Well, it's the same gospel message that, that is supposed to be preached today. Now, the gospel message is not a message that teaches that your good behavior will somehow make you right with God. See, some of the believers in Paul's day believed that if they kept the law, if they were good, boys and girls, and somehow they would appease God or somehow God would be pleased with them. That's not the gospel message. Some also believed in Paul's day that, well, maybe if I said a prayer or or maybe if I was baptized, that makes me right with God. No, guys, that's not the gospel message either. No one is good enough to be right with God. As a matter of fact, Romans 3.10 said that there is no one righteous, no one good, not even one. Other people in Paul's day believe that, you know, if I just work really hard, maybe then I'll be right with God. But none of those are the gospel. So, so what is the gospel that Paul preached? Look at verses 3 and 4 in our text. He says, for I delivered to you as first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, the Bible is crystal clear. Every person ever born has a problem, and it's called a, a sin problem. And you and I are not sinners because of so much of what we do. We're sinners because of who we are. We were born in sin. We have what's called a sin nature, and we inherited that sin nature from the original parents, Adam and Eve, and that sin nature has gone down through every generation, and that sin, it separates us from God. That sin is is a heart whose affection is not for Him, but for something else. It's called idolatry. And your passion and your love is not for God, it's, it's for some other thing or some other person. It, it could be wealth, it could be security, it could be status, it could be the pursuit of lust, it could be the pursuit of whatever other than God. And, it, and the sin, it separates us from Him. We are broken people and the relationship with God has been fractured, broken. And God, because of who He is, He's holy and He's just... He cannot and He will not just give sin a pass. He can't just look the other way from sin. But the good news is, is that God is love. There's a deep love and affection that God has for His creation. There's a deep love and affection that God has for you. Do you see the tension? God is holy. He must judge sin. But yet He loves us. And He does not want to punish us. How does He solve that problem? He solves it in His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is God, and He put on flesh. He came here as a child, and then a teenager, and then a man. He lived every area of life that we've lived. He's experienced all that we've experienced, but He was sinless. He was born of a virgin without sin. And He lived the life that we could not live, and Jesus becomes that substitute that we need. We needed a perfect substitute one without sin, but it needed to be a person, not just an animal. And so Christ willingly went to the cross, and He died. 
And it was on the cross that God pours out His wrath, His anger, His judgment on His Son. It's the judgment that we deserve, but Jesus took it for us. And then Jesus was buried, and He was in the grave for three days. And on the third day, He rose again. That is the gospel message. That is the message you must believe. And this is why Paul says in verse 1, the gospel which I preach to you, which is also what you received and also which you stand. Have you received that gospel message personally? Because that is the gospel message that saves. That is the gospel message that rescues. That is the gospel message that brings reconciliation between you and God. And the relationship with God is restored if you believe in Jesus Christ and the work that He did on the cross and that He rose from the grave. Understand, there is a judgment coming. And each of us is eternal. You will live either eternally with God, accepted in Christ, or you'll live apart from God in hell. And there are not many different ways to God. There is no reincarnation. There is no soul sleep. There is no nirvana or or special levels of perfection. There is not the force like Star Wars where you're kind of melded into this energy force. There's also no purgatory. You do not get another opportunity when you die to try to work off your sin. None of that is the gospel. What is the gospel? That Jesus lived, that He died, and He rose again. Do you believe that? Because the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27 that it is appointed for men once to die and after this the judgment. There is one life and then judgment. Judgment to eternal life or judgment to eternal punishment. And the Christian faith, it stands on that gospel. Matter of fact, this is the gospel that Jesus himself preached to the disciples. Mark chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This is the message that Jesus preached. This is the message that Paul preached. This is the message that I'm preaching to you this morning. Jesus lived that perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried in the grave for three days and He rose again. And we must believe We must trust that message. And this is why Paul says in verse 2, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You need to believe that message. That is the message that saves. Because believing in vain doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. Believing in vain means, means that you believe some other message. And if you believe any other way than Jesus, because Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's it. One way. It's a narrow way. It's called a narrow door, a narrow road. But it's a sure way. And if you'll put your faith in Christ, as Paul says, you will be saved. And when you believe, the Holy Spirit is given. And that becomes a testimony of the resurrection. 
Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is in you through the work of the Holy Spirit. It changes you. It changes me. Listen to Billy Graham. He said, before the resurrection of Christ, the Holy Spirit came upon individuals only on certain occasions for special tasks. But now, after the resurrection, Christ through the Holy Spirit dwells in the heart of every believer to give us supernatural power in living our daily lives. He's in you and He changes you and He helps you to live for Christ. And believing in the resurrection is necessary for saving faith. Paul again says in Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. And the resurrection is absolutely unique to Christianity. And every one of the disciples and the apostles believed it. A well-known history professor, his name is Kenneth Lacherette. He's the president of the American Historical Association, and he wrote a three-volume set entitled The History of Christianity. This is what he said about the resurrection. He said it was the conviction of the resurrection of Jesus which lifted Jesus' followers out of a despair into which his death had cast them and which led to the perpetuation of the movement begun by him. But for the profound belief that the crucified Christ had risen from the dead and they had seen him and talked with him, the death of Jesus and even Jesus himself would probably have been all but forgotten. If there was no resurrection, then you have a case for the disappearance of Jesus from historical records. But Jesus did rise from the dead. And Jesus is alive. We don't believe that Jesus was. We believe that Jesus is the ism of Jesus. Jesus is alive. Do you believe that? Do you trust it? Now, if I was to ask you to describe Easter, but you can't use any words, and you can only use punctuation marks, how would you respond to that? Well, I think some of you this morning would use the punctuation mark be a question mark. You've come here kind of wondering about this Christian deal and this idea that that someone could actually die and rise again. It's still a question. It's good that you're questioning, and I applaud you from that. But there are others of you, it's a comma. You know, Easter's here, and you, know, you stop, you pause, you listen, but it's just another holiday, and you're going to move on. But for some of you, it's a period. It's a stop. Because you just cannot believe that that a man could die and, and rise again, and, and you have no hope. And, and this is exactly where the disciples were that Friday evening when Jesus was put on the cross. And they knew that he was put in the grave, he died, and they had no hope. And that Sunday morning, they woke up without hope. But suddenly they heard that the stone had been rolled away. And suddenly women began to say, I've seen Jesus. And then they themselves saw him. And that period went to an exclamation point. He has risen, exclamation, indeed, exclamation of praise, exclamation of worship. Where are you this morning? Are you a period? Are you a question mark? Or are you an exclamation point? Because that is what the church is. It's an exclamation point. We believe, and people see it. First point, first witness is the living church. Second thing, Second witness, the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures. The Bible stands alone as the greatest literary work of all time, and all of the Bible clearly speaks about a Messiah who would die. 
be buried and would rise again. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. It says, For I deliver to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And so Paul says right here that the first priority, the greatest fact of the gospel message is the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What? According to the Scriptures. And the Scriptures teach that the Messiah would die for sins, that He would be a substitute for our sins. The Scriptures also teach that He would be buried. Jesus did die. And also that He'd be raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now when Paul says according to the Scriptures, he's talking about Old Testament Scriptures. The New Testament wasn't in place yet. And understand that both the Old Testament and the New Testament clearly speak about a Messiah that would come and suffer and die. But He would also rise again. And because the resurrection of Jesus is told in the Old Testament. Now, you might be saying, where do you find that? Remember when there were two men in the afternoon of the resurrection, and they were on a road heading towards Emmaus. And these two men, they were sad, and they were on their way on the road, and they're talking about all the events of the day, how how the one they thought was the Messiah had died on the cross and was buried. And and Jesus suddenly shows up in their midst, and and He asks them what they're talking about. But I want you to listen to what Jesus says to them. In Luke 24, verses 25 through 27, he being Jesus said to them, O foolish men, slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the Scriptures. The Old Testament proclaimed Christ. The Old Testament proclaimed Jesus the one who would come to suffer, die, be buried, and rise again. I mean, think with me. I just, I'm going to use a few of them. Genesis 22. That's the story of where Abraham is commanded by God to sacrifice his own son. That's a picture of substitutionary atonement where he, he sacrifices his own son, but what does God do? He provides a sacrifice for him, doesn't a ram caught in a thicket. Also, Psalm 22 describes in detail the crucifixion of the Messiah and the very words that he says from the cross. Isaiah 53 reveals the Messiah as the Lamb who was sacrificed for sinners. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. And by His stripes we are healed. And Psalm 16 speaks very clearly of the resurrection. Psalm 16, verse 10 and 11, David says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, speaking of the Messiah, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay and you will make known to me the path of life. And Jesus did not know decay because he rose from the grave. He is, not was. He's alive, and we can trust that. And the same message is in the New Testament as well. 1 Corinthians, by the way, was written in 55 AD. That's 22 years after the death, resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. And most all scholars agree that for something to become a myth, it takes hundreds of years. This was no myth. Because 22 years, there were a lot of people that had seen the risen Christ. And when Paul was writing that, there were already hundreds that knew he had rose from the dead. It's in the New Testament as well, throughout the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them share his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And all the epistles speak of the resurrection as fact. And not only 
Do the scriptures speak of that? But there's extra biblical uh, writings that, that explain that Jesus was here, he was actually a person, that he lived, and some of them actually speak about that he rose again. Gary Habermas, he's a historian, he wrote a book called The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. He said this, he said, in addition to the disciples and the written testimonies in Scripture, there are nine secular and non-Christian sources that mention that Jesus was alive within the first 150 years of the church. There was Josephus, the Jewish historian, and Tactus, the Roman historian, and Pliny the Younger, and others that all mention his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So you have these secular sources that mention it, but guys, we stand on the Word, the Word of God, because the very Word of God speak that Jesus rose from the grave. Two things. The first witness, the living church. The second witness, the holy scriptures. The third witness, eyewitnesses. There were eyewitnesses of Jesus alive after he had been crucified and buried. These are firsthand eyewitnesses. Look at what Paul said in verses 5 through 7. He says, And he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. So first he appears to Cephas. Now Cephas is Aramaic for Peter. First he appears to, to Peter. So Paul is kind of given a chronological order in who Jesus appeared to first after he rose from the dead. And Peter was the first of the apostles that Jesus revealed himself to. I mean, think about that. Peter was the denier. He denied him three times. This is a beautiful picture of the grace of God and the kindness of God as he reaches out to Peter. And I really think that maybe some are here today that you think, I'm too far gone. I've done too much to offend God. There's no way God would accept me. That's not true. Just by that fact alone, Jesus reached out to Peter and he will reach out to you if you repent and trust in him. Peter was the first one. And then it says that, that he was also... He appeared to all the other, it says the 12. Now, that's a term meaning the apostles. And we know at this point there was only 11. Judas had committed suicide. He hung himself. But it's the term that was used then to speak of the apostles. And all the apostles, when they spoke about Jesus, they spoke about the resurrection as fact. That was their message. As a matter of fact, when, when they were drawing lots to determine who the next apostle would be, and we know it became a Matthias, one of the requirements was that they were a witness of the resurrection. Acts chapter 1, verse 22, Peter says, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness of his resurrection. And they were a witness of his resurrection. They believed. Matter of fact, they believed to the point of death, martyrdom. Nothing could sway them because they had seen him alive. And then Paul says that he also appeared to 500. He appeared to 500 brethren, 500 believers. Now, we don't know if this was a one-time event or it was multiple events, but think about it. As Paul is writing it, there are hundreds of people who have seen the living Christ. And by the way, one of the reasons for somebody to be a good witness is the integrity of the witness. You can't get higher integrity than the apostles. They were trusted, but also just sheer numbers over 500 saw him. And then he says, and then he also appeared to James. 
Now, there were two Jameses in the apostles. There was James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, and James, the son of Alphaeus. I don't think it's either one of them, and every scholar that I read doesn't believe it's them. They think it's James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, why is this significant? Because both Jesus' half-brothers, James and Jude, neither one of them believed in Jesus when He was doing His ministry and was alive. But afterwards, wow, they both believe. And James believed. Why? Because I think Jesus, He showed Himself to James. He, he showed Himself in resurrected form to His half-brother. And James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem and the Jerusalem Council. And then, then it goes on to say, and to other apostles, basically what it means there is that he, Jesus showed Himself to the apostles for 40 days, multiple times. But maybe you're like one of the apostles was, and maybe you're saying, you know, hey, Pastor Rob, I believe if I could actually see Jesus resurrected from the dead. Are you a doubter like that? Because there was one like that. His name was Thomas. Thomas was a doubter. We spoke about this on Friday night. Thomas had to literally see him, be able to touch him. Listen to what Jesus says when he reveals himself to Thomas after the resurrection. He said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here in your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. Well, who's that? That's you and I, those that believe. That we haven't seen him physically, but we believe and we know that he's risen from the grave. And Thomas responded, my Lord and my God. He worshiped Jesus. And he believed. Again, do you believe? You know, I read a story this past week. I want to walk out here, maybe in front. There was a story about a pastor of a small town. And this pastor, he was walking on the main street of his, of his town, and he saw a little boy carrying a birdcage. And in the birdcage, there were two little finches, and you could tell the finches were super nervous and, and scared. They were beating themselves against the bars trying to get out. And, and, and this pastor, he had compassion on this little birds, this birds in the cage. And so he goes up to the boy, and he said, hey, son, he said, uh, what do you got there? And the boy said, well, I, I found this bird cage, and, and I caught these two birds. And the pastor said, well, what are you going to do with them? And the boy, was, he was honest. He said, well, I'm going to play with them and kind of tease them and mess, mess, mess around with them and... And he said, and then when I get home, I'm going to give them to my cat. (laughs) Well, the pastor says, well, son, uh, could I buy those birds and and that cage from you? And the son said, man, my lucky day. (laughs) And he thought about it, and and the pastor says, how much do you want? And and he said, I want 20 bucks. The pastor went in his wallet and gave him 20 bucks. And and the pastor, he, he took the cage with the two birds, and he went out into a field near his house. And he took it and, and he opened it and the birds wouldn't fly out right away and, and he kind of, and then they flew away and, and they were free, totally free. And suddenly when he closed the cage, he realized what a beautiful picture of the gospel. As we were lost in sin, absolutely enslaved to it, no hope. And Jesus came and he ransomed us, he purchased us, he bought us. And in Jesus, the Bible says that we are absolutely free, free indeed, if you know Him and you trust Him.
Because in Christ is freedom. Are you still in the cage? Or are you free? Because that's the question. Do you believe this morning? There's one more thing we see this morning. There's a fourth witness. That fourth witness is the Apostle Paul himself. Paul himself, first person witness, he wrote this. He's saying, I saw him too. Look at verses 8 through 11. And the last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I'm the least of the apostles, and I'm not fit to be called the apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove in vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me, and whether then it was I or they. So we preached, and you believe. Now Paul says, he's last of all, as one untimely and born, that he appeared to me also. Paul realized that he should never have been shown the grace that God shown him. And he uses an interesting word in the Greek that means untimely born is ekromete, and it means a premature birth, a miscarriage, an abortion. Paul said that I was a miscarriage, that I never should be where I am right now. Why? Because I killed Christians. Because I killed God's people. I persecuted them. I threw them in jail. When he said he was the least, he meant he was the least of the apostles. And Paul was not taught the gospel message from other apostles. No, for three years, although we don't have time for me to show you Galatians, for three years in Arabia, he was taught by Jesus himself, whether it was in a vision or in resurrected form or not really clear, but Paul was instructed directly by the Lord, the truth of the gospel message. And Paul met the Lord on a road, it was the road to Damascus. In Acts 9, 4, it says he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus who is persecuting you. On that road, Paul was blinded. So he was physically blind, but he was spiritually alive. Lord, he was changed. He was made new. And what was the gospel message that he learned from Jesus? He tells us right there in verses 10 and 11. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove in vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me, whether it was I or they. So he preached and you believed. It is by the grace of God that you are saved. It is not of yourself. It is not of works. His grace is unmerited favor towards you, the sinner, towards me, the sinner, towards Paul, the murderer. There is no one in this room that has done something too much that God cannot forgive. Jesus died for all sin. And he calls us to respond. And in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that gospel message, that truth. Because that is the question You had Peter that believed. You had the apostles that believed. You had James that believed. You had Paul that believed. Do you believe? Let's pray.
Father, we offer up this time to you now. We, are, we ask, Lord, that you would move in power by your Holy Spirit and reveal yourself to the heart by grace. Help each person here, Lord, to have an honest heart before you. I pray for this message that's been preached from this pulpit, Lord, of your life, your death, your burial, and your resurrection. How grateful we are, Lord. In you we have new life, resurrected life, and the power to live it. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Could I please have you stand with me? I want to end this message with two questions. The first question that I'd like to ask you this morning is, do you believe? Now, that's a hard one to answer sometimes because I'm not just talking intellectual faith. You, you have an intellectual understanding of who Jesus is. But really, the second question is really where I'm going. Do you belong to Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Because there are many that say they believe, but they don't belong to Him. I read a wonderful book, and it's entitled, I'm Not a Fan. And that book talks about that there, there are people that are basically fans of Jesus. They're enthusiastic admirers, but they're not really followers of Him. Are you just a fan, an enthusiastic admirer, or are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you belong to Jesus? Now, I know what often happens during Easter is sometimes people come back to church and there might be some here that you've drifted from Christ. And, and there was one time that you would consider yourself His, but now it's a, it's a distant memory. And I want to call you back home. Jesus offers Himself to you afresh, anew. And there's others here today that have never received Christ. They haven't believed and trusted in Him. And I want to give you that same opportunity. And here's how you can believe. How do you do that? There's four things, and they start with R. First, you need to recognize. Recognize that you fall short of God's glory, that you are a sinner, that you have another lover. You love other things. You love wealth. You love status. Your identity is not in Him. You're a sinner. You need to recognize that. But you also need to realize that God loves you. He sent His Son to die for you personally. He offered Himself personally for you if you would respond to Him. Not only recognize and realize, but you also have to repent. That means you confess your sin openly and you turn to Christ for forgiveness because He is the way, the truth, and the life. We come to the Father through Him. And lastly, you need to receive. You need to receive Christ personally. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as believed in Him, to those who received Him, He gives the right to become the children of God. If you want to this morning, Jesus offers Himself to you, and you can receive Him right now, and I want to give you this opportunity now. And you can pray this prayer after me. So church, I'd like us to bow our heads. And if you're here this morning and you want to confess Christ, pray this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, 
I recognize and confess that I am a sinner. And I believe and I trust, Lord Jesus, that you died for me. I believe in your perfect life. I believe on the cross you paid for my sin. I believe that you were buried and that you rose again. I put my faith in you. And Lord, I give you my life. And I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I turn to you now. And I trust you now with all my heart. And I pray this in Jesus' name.